This is a humble man recording. Scano, Sego, Ani, you're listening to the Red Road Podcast with Courtney Skye and Hayden King. Good. Is it recording? We're good. How are you today, Courtney? I'm good. How are you, Hayden? It's snowy. It's uh, it's a nice February day. Or oh, it's, it's March. March. <laughs> it's March. It lousy it's like smart March weather. 10th. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm okay. I'm happy to be happy to be in the podcast car this morning. Last night, uh, I had to find my own way home via public transit, and uh, I I tried to hop on the GO train. So. This is one of the few times I've tried to, or I have taken the GO train. And it was sort of like riding the TTC. You know, when the subway rolls in at rush hour and there's like 11 people deep. And if you're lucky, you get on the subway car. But you're just on top of the person beside you. And there's no dignity for anybody. And you can't get out of the subway at your stop because people are jammed in too quickly uh well that's what the go train now is like if you try to take the go train west of the city at rush hour it's basically the same thing the difference is the go train only comes once an hour or so so if you can't get into the train you're stuck on the platform you've paid your fare and you've got to wait an extra hour what train are you taking lakeshore west lakeshore west lakeshore west comes every 15 minutes no during rush hour? No. Yeah. Not the one I was on. West Har- tried- I was on oh, the you were West on, yeah. Harbor Go. You needed to take the the extension one, yeah. So in that time, when that happens, you're supposed to get on the regular Lakeshore West, go to Aldershot, okay, okay, and good. get on a bus. Thanks for and the take tips. The bus. Thanks for the tips. I figured it out. <laughs> I went and I got a bus. All I'm saying is that the infrastructure in the city uh, for public transit is so shit. It is the shittiest. It is like the Hunger Games out there on the fucking train platform. Mm-hmm. People are rabid trying to get on this train. Like, if you were trying to get to Niagara Falls and that was your only train and you couldn't get on, like, yeah. what do you do? Sleep on a friend's couch? I guess so. I had to I do that a couple so. times. I guess so. Uh, so, that's why people drive. Yeah, that is why... I Listen, I commuted on the Lakeshore West line for the better part of a year, almost every single day in and out of the city, you know, doing 15 hour days when I worked in for the province. So like that is reality for a lot of people, right? You, you know, you can't afford to live buy a house in the city. So you end up taking public transit, but then you also end up paying like, what is it like $300 to commute like that every day. If you're lucky, if you do have a job that pays more, you could probably afford to take the via, which is more comfortable and twice the price. Um, for five out of the last ten of my working life years, I've been commuting from one city to another city. Yeah. I commuted from Ottawa to Toronto uh, for a year, but I, I I I just don't know what to say about the state of the uh, train. I don't I don't know what to say about it. I just I, it's it's unreal. Well, Doug Ford's gonna save us. Doug so. Ford's gonna take over the TTC and drive that train into the ground deeper than it already is next level subterranean subway <laughs> uh, yeah that's going to be a horror show uh, yeah. that's going to be a horror, horror show yeah, speaking there's... of horror shows 
Oh, gosh, what a segue. Uh, <laughs> uh, Justin Trudeau's life is uh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So a few weeks ago, was it our last podcast? No, our two podcasts ago, we talked about the SNC Lava, SNC Lavalin scandal. Uh, and at that point, I think Jody Wilson-Raybould had just resigned and we were trying to figure out what was happening. She, she was brought back into the cabinet. She was sitting in the front benches. And since then, uh, she had testified to the Justice Committee about the inappropriate pressure that was applied by her colleagues to grant the company a deferred prosecution agreement and not face criminal prosecution. In her testimony, she laid out very meticulously the case against Gerald Butts and Michael Wernick and Bill Morneau and even Justin Trudeau, as well as Katie Telford, uh, all of the players in this in this scandal. Uh, what else has happened since then? Oh, Jane Philpott resigned yesterday. So yesterday in the... I don't know what chapter it is, the latest chapter in this uh, affair, the former Minister of Indigenous Services, the widely respected Jane Philpott, uh, resigned in solidarity with Jody Wilson-Raybould's uh, plight. Mm-hmm. Pretty dramatic. Yes, it was very dramatic. I am appreciating uh, the drama of the situation, the way things are folding out. And there just seems to be, like, this impeccable timing of, like, moves that are being made by people within this that is making the story so captivating, but also is, like, you know, keeping it in the news cycle, which is probably not what the Liberals want to be happening, but is happening nonetheless. No, it is, I mean, in in my memory, I don't recall a scandal that has carried on this long. Uh, Is it because we haven't had a good scandal in so long that we're just willing to take whatever comes along? I don't know. There was the Gomery inquiry, I guess. Like, we face scandals every every day, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it's child welfare, whether it's murdered and missing Indigenous women, whether it's infringing on Aboriginal titles, all the stuff that we've talked about in this... You know, there there are infringements on the rule of law every damn day when it comes to Native people. So, you know... I guess I should amend my initial statement. I am used to these types of scandals. 150 years of scandal. 150 years of scandal. But Canadians don't pay attention to that. Uh, Media doesn't pay attention to that. Um, So I guess I should say I have not seen a scandal like this that has preoccupied the media and Canadians as long as this one. But it's, it's, you know, sort of close to home for us because the major players are the people that are also... Uh, responsible for those sort of, you know, violations of the rule of law when it comes to indigenous issues. Jody Wilson-Raybould, of course, uh, has been the former Minister of Justice, architect of indigenous, the Trudeau government's indigenous policy, Jane Philpott, the former indigenous services minister. So, sort of, we're wrapped up in this scandal. Yeah, and it's been uh, pretty interesting to see, like, where... Indigenous perspectives come in and out of the commentary that's been happening. Uh, the CBC did a wrap-up of reactions from their take on like prominent Indigenous leaders, which was really just a collection of perspectives from prominent Indigenous men, <laughs> and their feelings on the resignation of um, Jane Philpot. And it was essentially just like this sad, sappy tale of like who the true heroes of reconciliation are being Native men and white women. Right. 
and yeah. she's getting all of this credit for all of this work that she's done around organizing and uh, organizing well that she is the hero of reconciliation that she's done a majority of the heavy lifting around moving forward on a lot of indigenous issues that she was a hero and there's a lot of like people who are very saddened you know and and you know kudos to any person that can make Alvin Fiddler and David Chartrand agree but like those guys having the exact same reaction of being like you know, she was really touched by these issues and like she'd hear these stories of like things that are happening in our communities and she'd be brought to tears and, and that played into a lot of um, sympathies and I guess, uh, you know, was seen as valid by a lot of our leadership and to me as like a person who's worked in occupied feminist spaces for so long, it's like, yeah, I mean the tears of white women are magical and mythical and they can change reality for a lot of people and they can change history and they can change, you know, all of these different things and seeing that happen and play out where like her she's taking on such as she did have a prominent role she did play a significant piece in a lot of these policy initiatives and they still aren't though that good <laughs> you know what i mean like there's yeah. still an administration of poverty she was president of the treasury board and was directly responsible in sitting at a cabinet table where all of these decisions are being made to continue the chronic underfunding of indigenous services to continue the you know the discrimination and face you know i think in their time two non-compliance orders from the canadian human rights tribunal on child welfare and all those things coming together it's like you know they're trying to you know jody west raybill jade philpott trying to position themselves as women of moral authority when you like stack this instance up against all of the other decisions they've made in their career it's like for me it's like why this one right why? is this you know is it either you know the straw that broke the camel's back or is it, or is this the thing that is like, the thing that is actually intolerable to them? And they could tolerate all of these other things, um, but they could not tolerate this. A little bit of a rant there. I, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's because I'm driving so fast. So we, there left, are a, we left. There were a few things <laughs> in there that are worth picking up. I, I think the first is the reaction of the male First Nation leadership. By the way, did you see my op-ed in the Globe and Mail? I did. It was very I'm, good. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm joking. So the male uh, First Nation leadership has come out in full force. I will force. say, it was interesting that your article was about a, a Native woman and they chose to feature only your photo in it. Don't you see what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to critique myself, okay? I'm trying to... So, yes, that is interesting. I did not have editorial control about the photo. I don't even know where they got that photo. It was very broody. Yeah. Rooting in that photo. Um, so it's interesting to com compare and contrast how the leadership has reacted to Jody Wilson Raybould's re uh, resignation from cabinet versus Jane Philpott's resignation from cabinet. And we talked about this on our the last podcast where we we talked about the scandal. But you know, by and large, the First Nation leadership uh, and Métis leadership were like good riddance to Jody Wilson Raybould. This is a distraction. We've got we've got business to do. Liberal talking points. And now Jane Philpott resigns, and and they all come out of the woodwork. Perry Bellegarde, Alvin Fiddler, uh, they're all, you know, this is such a, a tragedy. We're so sad to see her go. She did so much great work for us. Um, so, I will say that the outlier in this, as always, was Nathan Obed, who actually was the only one who did, like, a thank you next to Jane Philpott. <laughs> Uh, we should do a podcast about Natan Obed. Yeah, just, we should. Just the just the sort of 
the Inuk, Inuk Diplomacy podcast. Oh. Princi- let's talk about principles. Yeah, exactly. And right? have a conversation about Nintendo. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so there is something about the white woman tonic, the tears mm-hmm. of, of white women that are, that are able to uh, turn Native men into... Um, in some cases, these these syncophants for um, for politicians who, as you point out, you know, uh, like haven't really led the transformative change. It doesn't really seem like the praise that she's got is worthy of her accomplishments. Now, it is true that she knew her file better than any minister, any Indian minister in the past. Um, there were plenty of investments uh, that she was responsible for when she was Minister of Indigenous Services and Treasury Board, um, but uh, it's a long, long way to go. Long, long way to go, definitely. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's hard to like kind of unpack and try and see through all of the positioning and all the optics to try and you know sift through and say like what is actually at play here, what's actually going on. I do have a lot of, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with one of my friends about this where it was like, there's got to be some sort of dynamic that existed with Jody Wilson-Raybould as Minister of Justice and the kind of um, perceptions around capacity and competency that were raised that, you know, people, when she was chosen for that role, was it was a very, like, people were like, oh, that's um, interesting, and it seemed like a little bit of a senior position for a rookie MP to take, even though the Liberals had, you know, majority rookies uh, in their, in their, uh, you know, cabinet caucus. Caucus, yes, um, because they had gone from such low numbers in the previous yeah, election, yeah. you know. So, all of that to say that like, there's a certain undermining that happens for like racialized women when they're in positions that are predominantly male dominated to be the best at that job. That you have to have. You know, much more competent. You have to deal with it much more technically, and that bureaucracy, I imagine, being like it within law and justice, is male-dominated, and so she has to. Ha- I would imagine her having to have that solid, kind of uh, unimpeachable ethic around her to be seen as competent to lead right. that ministry. Yeah, I mean, she just like any indigenous person that gets into one of these roles. They they have to work twice as hard, of course, and and they know twice as much. They're twice as smart as all of their other colleagues, and yet that still doesn't uh, prevent the sort of slander and the attacks that uh, women of color and indigenous women receive um, for undertaking their their jobs. And that's another key difference between the reaction of Phil Potts resignation versus Raybould Wilson's resignation, right? On the one hand, you have the First Nation leadership lining up behind Phil Pot, uh, where they didn't when it, when, when it was Wilson-Raybould. Though BC chiefs, obviously, and BC leaders were obviously uh, an exception to that. And then, no, you know, no one so far is coming out and attacking Phil Pot like they came out and attacked Wilson-Raybould for being hard to work with and all about herself and uh, controlling, you know? Yeah. No, none of we don't see those narratives. But well, Bill Morneau gave a kick at it. He tried his best. He tried his Bill Morneau-ness about it, just saying that they were friends. And I think that's interesting too, because there's kind of this like insidious misogyny or like anti-feminist kind of stereotype that's coming out to play, 
within some of these criticisms where it's like, oh, you know, they were such good friends and, and, you know, girls are just best friends and they just love each other so much that they're going to stand beside each other no matter what the cost. And it really undercuts the ability and the, you know, that are clearly two accomplished women to make decisions that are strategic and thoughtful and considerate of political ramifications that they, and it, you know, it has these flavors of women being emotional or rational or histrionic as a response, as opposed to them, when you lay out the facts of them consciously taking control over a narrative. Right. And I think I, I definitely see that. And it, the messaging coming from the PMO, and it's obviously very murky about where this messaging comes from, but there, there, is, there was an attempt with Jody Wilson-Raybould, like there was an attempt with Judy Wilson before, before her, and any other Indigenous woman or woman that has criticized, criticized Justin Trudeau, to infantilize uh, and to make those individuals seem irrational. It's irrational to uh, support your friend, or as you say, it's, you know, emotional. It's 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 uh, a, a critique that has been used time and time again to um, marginalize and push women out of leadership positions and, and positions of power. Right. That that's why women don't make good politicians in the eyes of men because they're too emotional. Uh, and I think that that's what that's what you're seeing. The the one critique you're right that you do see against Philpott is. Well, she was. This is a. This is an issue about friendship. This is a. This is a personal thing. This is outside of the, the scope of of uh, the scandal or politics or, or laws, as you say. Um, but you also said something interesting there, and we had an exchange about this, uh, about power, and about strategy. Um, you gave me one of the best compliments you've ever given me, <laughs> in calling my politics. Uh, what did you say? Uh, the most mohawk. Well, it's a, it <laughs> was a, you tip. were in our conversation, and maybe we should talk about what yeah. the conversation was about. But I definitely said <laughs> that you have a very power-focused <laughs> analysis of this, which is not surprising considering you come from a mohawk <laughs> tradition of of uh, you know people that view things through a lens of power exclusively. Where where Nishnabs, <laughs> of course, we view it through, through a lens of love and humility and and wisdom. Well, first of all, I was also at the same time. So this was like immediately following the announcement. I sent you Jane Pot or Jane Philpott's resignation. Yeah. And I had sent it to also some of my other friends who are wonks and and love this conversation. And so in one of my other group DMs, I was like, he didn't just said I was mock. And I know that when Nishnabik say that, they mean it as (laughs) an insult or like a passive aggressive chap. And my friend who works in government was like, yeah. There's no one else that's better at reading the strategy of a room than a Mohawk. I think there's a, maybe yeah. a lot of similarities between Mohawks and liberals. <laughs> I didn't say my friend was a liberal. I, I'm just saying, well, you, 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 so, my point was you get the liberal strategy because it's well, rooted in power, and you get that because all, you're a Mohawk, so there's very similar, <laughs> a lot of similarities between I liberals get, and Mohawks. Maybe I get it from my British heritage. Yeah, right. So, But the point being is that if you understand or... I guess a dynamic of colonialism is a rigid hierarchy and the power dynamics that are at play within it. Well, let's and that you, but you can't have any kind of, I guess, criticism of the system or the structure, but without knowing how those dynamics play into the decision making of 
people within it, right? That there is, there's a power imbalance between women and men. Yep. There's a power dip imbalance between racialized women and men. That that those would be at play in the interpersonal relationships between Justin Trudeau and Jody Wilson-Raybould, and between him and Jay Philpott, and those kinds of things are at play and are almost, um, you know, that especially when someone is within a political party or that they are a minister that they've that they've managed to navigate those dynamics they've managed to navigate the small peep politics of being in a political party where everyone is hyper vigilant to these kinds of dynamics and these kinds of plays uh okay so uh, uh, that's contributing to your point but we haven't let oh, everybody yes. else into the debate. <laughs> uh, so we're getting very inside here. Okay. So basically our conversation was uh, you were thinking that there must be some sort of specific strategy to Wilson-Raybould's resignation mm -hmm. from cabinet, her testimony, uh, potentially um, the resignation of Jane Philpott. Like they have a plan. They have some strategy that they're deploying to potentially overthrow uh, the 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 leader of the Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau. Or I don't mean you you yeah. can you can you can explain it better yourself. Of course. I think that well, I'm just kind of saying like, what is it? What is the goal here? What is the? There must be some yes. underlying goal for you. There well like but yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Why undertake? This level of, um, you know, effort, I guess, expel this amount of effort. Why compromise, um, I don't want to say that. Their own political that, careers, well, potentially. No, but like, I, I would say like, because we've talked about this before, right? The trade-offs that you make when you're in these positions, right? There are a lot of ways in which people's, um, they make compromises or they give up. And I think David Chartrand actually uh, talked about this a little bit, which was like, making me question all of my uh, uh, things about how I take this issue or digest this issue considering how much he and I agree on this but um, that there's that you you make those trade-offs and you kind of get into those positions to affect change and you know be an insider or have that power have that position and of all the decisions that they've made of all the poor decisions the liberals have made in power why is this the one that means the most and why is this the one that is going to cause this kind of reaction or this kind of like um, compromising of all of the other things that you would have had to do in order to be in that position to begin with. You know, like why wasn't it buying the pipeline? Why didn't you resign over the pipeline yeah, thing, right? But you, so you must agree with that. Or why didn't you resign when there was no um, funding for child welfare you know why were these why were all of these other things okay and this one not and it seems like well this becomes like an opportunity to like is this the thing that you could use to take down the prime minister that you knew would have traction that you knew would have legs outside of people that you know frankly don't care about native people or native children or in the environment so that must mean that phil pot and Raybould are working together towards some end goal. Which I'm just saying, are they? Like that's oh, what I, I mean. I, like, well, in our conversation last night, it seemed to it oh, seemed yeah. to be this is that, like the political drama and theater of it all, though, right? Is being like, but why well, is it? Happening? Why do they do it? Yeah. Okay. Why? So my my position was, 
I don't know. I don't really think that there is uh, an end game for both of them. I don't think that they're gonna try to take down the prime minister. I don't think they're trying to torpedo the party. I don't think that there's any political posturing uh, at all. Now, I shouldn't say no political posturing at all because they both claim to be running for the Liberals at the next election. They both certainly want to get elected. Um, they both have the same tone and content of their resignation letters. They used very similar language that they're establishing a messaging and a brand with okay. what they're right. with what they're saying and how they position it. They're wearing matching outfits and photos. So you could see, you could imagine a Phil Pot, Raybould Wilson takeover of the Liberal Party. It's too good in it the notes that it's hitting for it to not be something that is going to be that's going to continue to have legs in the next election right and so here's my prediction this is what we're gonna do so <laughs> i feel like this is also like the root of our friendship where we had this very similar a very similar disagreement on some other political issue and we bet that like who was going to be the one that was right and i ended up being no, right i was i was right you were not right anyway continue <laughs> on with your prediction so uh i think that the liberal party's tanked Right. This is all agreed, but I think that they're, there are probably tanked? that there there are probably people within the party that saw the writing on the wall of buying the pipeline. You know, Andrew Shear and his political moves. That there's a high likelihood, say sixty forty, that they are going to lose the next election. Wow. That there are probably some people in the Liberals that see this as being a need to switch out the leader. That with a change in leadership they could potentially preserve the party to maintain uh that they could maintain power right they could the next this is about the next this is about who is the next prime minister the next liberal prime minister yeah and so that that's probably the disagreement this played out in ontario with kathleen Wynne where the writing on the, was on the wall for Kathleen Wynne, she decided to go into the next election as the leader. Yeah. And throughout the leadership and the contest, she tanked the party in her political plays because she was an unpopular leader. So I feel like the, there's probably people within the party that think if they can jettison Trudeau and jettison the idea of buying the pipeline and all these other things that are, you know, unflavorable, that they can continue to be uh, within the party. And if you re look at some of the constituents responses to people's whatever uh within the party within jane philpott's writing the jody wilson rabel's party her constituents are saying yeah this makes me want to vote for her again and it's people th thinking again that you know maybe they wouldn't have voted for liberals but these changes within the party maybe i would consider voting for them again i just don't think that the liberal brand is as tarnished as you think that it is. I, I don't think that liberals overwhelmingly were opposed to buying a pipeline, first of all. I think that there was definitely, I mean, any thinking person was like, wow, there's some serious cognitive dissonance here. I mean, how do we reduce carbon emissions while building a pipeline? So yes, there was probably some uh, anger about that, but enough for, the, for liberals to jump ship or to o orchestrate a coup for a new leader? I doubt it. Also, Andrew Scheer is... Uh, the least charismatic leader since <laughs> I don't know. He's getting uh, a lot more uh, better at it, though. He's Joe Clark, and um, they're gonna get him the people that he needs to change his image, right? I don't think that the I don't think that Liberal Party members saw Andrew Scheer as a significant threat. I mean, certainly there's an election com coming up. Donald Trump, Doug Ford. It's anything is possible. But again, is that 
the condition, uh, or is that the, 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 uh, <laughs> is that where we're at? Is, uh, like... Sorry, Eric's going to have to cut that <laughs> silence out. No, sorry, we're going to keep it. No, we're not. I just is... can't think of a word right now. But... Is, is that what you torpedo the party over? I mean, those two <laughs> issues, I don't think that those are compelling enough reasons to try to kick out a prime minister who is, despite our opi personal opinions of him, pretty popular uh, with a Liberal Party that has a lot of support. And then, last night, you know, they had cabinet ministers polled and the remaining 33 cabinet ministers all issuing statements of support for the prime minister. So, uh, if Bill Pott and Raybould okay. Wilson thought that this was an opportunity to overthrow the Liberal Party, it was a serious miscalculation. And from two incredibly intelligent uh, politicians, I just, I do not believe that they would be making that kind of miscalculation. I, so this morning on The Current, did you listen to The Current this morning? No. It was before we would have gotten in the car. So on The Current this morning, they said there's actually about, there, whoever they had commenting on it, said that there's about 30% or like, you know, a third of caucus actually agrees with Jody Wilson-Raybould and that they believe her and they're on her side and that there's about another third of them that are in between and they want to see more and they want to see how it plays out and the other uh 30 are very mad they're the you know they're the old guard they're the big out liberals and they're the party insiders and they're pissed so if that ha is how the party breaks out if that's how the liberal party is constructed right now where they're divided into thirds and potentially within a week or two weeks 60 percent of the party is going to be mad and think that you're corrupt that's a different place to be in true but let me throw two more wrenches into your prediction or at least one wrench so the only options for the liberal liberals six seven months out from an election the only option for them there's two options for them to get rid of the leader a justin trudeau could resign and pull out dalton mcginty right i'm 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 you know i, I i'm toxic I, 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 let's let's get me out of here it's right before an election but we can get a new leader and we'll sail into the next uh, election. And in, th in that case, it worked. Dalton McGinty was premier for uh, a decade plus and uh, the scandals had been mounting. Justin Trudeau has been prime minister for three and a half years. He's not likely to put the party in front of his own political aspirations or his, his legacy and resign for the sake of... Uh, uh, electoral prospects in the next election. I just do not see that happening. The second way, uh, oh, the second way that the uh, Liberals could get a new leader is if the caucus does revolt and there's a massive civil war because, as you say, the party is divided in, into threes. Let's say it's divided by half. A Liberal civil war six months before the election would tank their electoral prospects. So. Uh, in either of those scenarios, liberal MPs would have to say to themselves, the caucus would have to say to themselves, it's a, it's a no-win in either case. Mm -hmm. You know, Trudeau's not going to resign, and we're not going to for force him out, because uh, in both cases, we're, we're screwed. So, uh, I, I just, I don't, see your, I don't see your prediction. My prediction... <laughs> is that Trudeau digs in like he has done throughout the entire scandal. Not that it's worked for him, but he's digging in. They're going to give the, the uh, deferred prosecution agreement to SNC-Lavalin. They're going to win seats in Quebec for that. Uh, they'll lose some seats in uh, Ontario, definitely. 
Um, they're gonna lose seats in BC. Maybe they'll bleed. They'll, they'll bleed seat. seats to the Conservatives and to do the NDP. Any, do they have any seats in the prairies? Uh, yeah. Because um, they're gonna lose those. Like everything coming out of Alberta, Saskatchewan, is like. Of course, they would go to the mat for Eastern Ontario, or the Liberals will go to the mat for Ontario and Quebec industry, but they will not do that for, you know. Ben, well, I don't know about I don't know about that. They're trying to build a pipeline. Well, exactly. Uh, so they're going to bleed these the supporters and the liberals. You know the liberals will love weather this and they'll get reelected with a minority government. Uh, but I do not. I, I'll, I see Trudeau just digging in. I mean, just based on his his uh, the the past um, controversies, I don't I don't see it. I don't see him making a tearful apology over this one. That's a long prediction. I will. What well, we heard here first, uh, Hayden King predicts. Liberal minority in the election. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is, it's obviously far too soon to be making predictions, but I'm thinking about the liberal calculus right now. If yeah. you're a liberal insider, are you going to turn on your prime minister, uh, your leader who got you elected with in such great numbers over this, uh, what is, I think for many people, a reasonable request or a reasonable attempt, um, mm-hmm. or, or are you going to uh, 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 throw your electoral prospects into the wind? And, and this is where I agree with you about the party politics, because if we know anything about settler politicians, it's that they are rabidly self-interested. Yes. Um, Which is what makes their, uh, you know, their conflicts so much full of drama. You know, I don't, watch, is, soap, it is, it I don't watch soap operas anymore, but this is highly entertaining. Well, this is the key, this is the key source of our debate. Mm-hmm. If settler politicians are so rabidly self-interested... Phil Pot and Wilson Raybould are an exception to that rule. Well, yeah, and they, that's why yeah. it's compelling. And it, and it's like, wow, suddenly you have these corrupt uh, politicians, Canadian politicians, suddenly suddenly finding some principles and some integrity. It's like, um, never thought I'd see the day. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> who knew? Do but, it about climate change, for God's <laughs> sakes. Do it about something that actually matters. Why is it about this, like, the corporatocracy of Canadian politics? Why is it not about the lives of Indigenous children? Why right, is it not right. about the environment? Why is it not about anything else? But you know what? It's this, like, non-issue that only matters to, like, white pundits, which is the thing that, like, is baffling. The chattering class ah. loves this, but you're... you're <laughs> No one is really talking about the defense of corporate Canada and the linkages between business interested and, and politicians. Like, and all of the ink and all of the hours of tape and all of the, the words that come out of the chattering, chattering classes' mouths, you know, we're not talking about corporate corruption. We're not talking about kleptocracy. Uh, we're not talking about how the Canadian state is basically a transmission belt for capital. We're not talking about those things, but if this was a real scandal with real-world uh, impacts, which it is, those would be the sort of things we're talking about, but we're not. It's just, it's just a drama. It's just, um, it's just uh, a politician being stabbed in the back by his two female uh, cabinet ministers. You know, the, the underlying issue is, is completely lost, and that just demonstrates the hollow vacuous nature of of uh the discourse in in the canadian media and politics i think it's very interesting it's very interesting we didn't actually intend to spend 35 (laughs) minutes talking about uh jane philpott's resignation no because uh, there is such a thing as work-life balance 
there's a great Dilbert cartoon that I've tweeted a bunch of times, but it says like they've renamed work-life balance into work-life integration. So there's a, you don't notice the seamless transition of all your free time becoming about work as uh, yeah. it's noticeable. Uh, but, uh, you know, people usually use their commute time to relax. We're making a podcast. No one uses their commute time to relax. You don't? I used to use it to sleep. I used to get up, get on the go train at, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning and then sleep. And I could perfectly sleep oh, for the you. hour lucky and nine you. minutes that it took to get to Union Station. I, um, I use my commute for self-loathing. Self. Self-loathing. Self-loathing? We're keeping that. Pitying yeah. myself. Uh, self-pity? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Feeling sorry for yourself? That's, yeah. that's what it's for, actually. <laughs> It's specifically designed to induce that into people. Um, but no, we were going to talk about what we're reading. So this is a thing that our friend uh, Vicky Machama suggested from uh, a safe, uh, It's a Safe Space, which is a podcast that I co-hosted last week or two weeks ago. And we were featured on in a like, you know, podcast play, playlist kind of episode last week. I was so, actually on that podcast once. Yeah, you were. She forgot about it. Um, but I'm a friend of the podcast. Hayden has also been a guest of the podcast. We are very uh, much uh, fans of Vicky and wish her a speedy recovery. She was injured in a dog walking accident. And so, but she suggested that um, what's interesting is that Hayden and I consume different kinds of literature and different kinds of reading. And you're much more well read than I am, probably because you actually cared about you know, your education and also because you're much older than I am. I'm more well read on <laughs> indigenous horror and sci-fi. Yes. And I spend most of my time reading reports. So we're going to talk about what we're reading. Exciting. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that's your, that's, that's the big trailer for next week. <laughs> if you want to listen to us talk about, yeah. if you want to listen to Courtney talking about all the interesting reports she's reading. I've been starting Tune to read, in reading reports from like the 1970s. Week. Oh my god. Uh, and the 1980s. I read a really good report from 1995 recently. <laughs> you're the one that's in charge of a policy think tank and you're roasting me. All right. For this. Well, that's it. We're almost at the end of the road here. Yes. We are in. Uh, downtown, downtown Toronto profit. Yes, okay. okay. So that's, I guess maybe we'll do that next time we yeah, record a podcast. Time, or maybe like, there will be some, maybe the cool. Prime Minister will resign and we'll have another conversation about SNC Lava. Alright. Have a good week. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Red Road Podcast, created by Courtney Sky and Hayden King, sounding audio editing by Humble Man Recording. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I've been driving in my Indian car To the pound of the wheels drumming in my brain My dash is dusty, my plates are expired